Yes, folks, welcome to another episode of After Backboard. Firstly, a big thanks to all the followers on Instagram and everyone that's listening on Spotify and all the other listening outlets. Any information, just jump on our page on Instagram. You'll be able to find out up-and-coming guests and who we've got on that coming week. Well, folks, we've got an absolute cracker of a guest tonight. This man, how do I introduce him? Four-time Olympian, a gold at the Olympics in Athens, four golds in the Commonwealth Games, numerous goals with regards to World Cups, Champions, Trophies and so much more that we'll discuss on the show. It's an absolute pleasure to get you on, Mark Knowles. How are we doing, sir? Thanks very much for having me, guys. Yeah, it's uh, great to be on the show. Absolutely love the uh, opportunity to share some stories, to chat with other, you know, hockey lovers and hockey nuts and Look forward to sharing a few good stories tonight. Definitely, Mark. Well, it's an absolute pleasure to get you on, as I've said. Uh, and obviously throughout the show, it's very relaxed. Finding out about your career to date, so many achievements, so many memorable times that you've got. We'll discuss them. But firstly, if you could just give the listeners a wee introduction in regards to how did you get started in hockey and what other sports really did you enjoy growing up as a kid, Mark? Yeah, no drama. I think uh, for me, I started playing hockey when I was four years old. Uh, I grew up in a country town in central Queensland. Um, my mum and dad both played um, fairly fairly good level hockey for Queensland. In state hockey, uh, older brother, older sister and a younger sister who all played hockey. Not a lot of other things to do in the country town where I grew up, so played um hockey in the winter and mainly cricket in the summer. They were the two big sports that I played. Yeah, Mark, well, you've touched on cricket there as well. So as, as a young man growing up as well, what role models were there in the sporting world that you looked up to out with hockey, just growing up as a kid? Yeah, I think the the main people that I grew up, um, you know, looking at and, and trying to role model um, when I grew up as a kid was my dad. Um, his work ethic and his, you know, dedication to what he put his mind to was something that, you know, that I've aspired to be like. Um, plenty of other people around the community who all um, were doing some pretty awesome things in sport, I guess. I was really kind of became addicted to sport as a young kid. And I guess as I got better at it, um, you know, the more those role models really shone through for me, but mainly my dad at the start of my life. Yeah, I think so many youngsters uh, boys and girls growing up, their, their parents will be their role models, trying to emulate what they've achieved growing up. But Mark, I just want to touch on the Australian Hockey Programme. If you give the listeners just a wee bit of detail with regards to, say, from the ages of 16 onwards, how do the Australian Hockey players progress within the Institute of Sport and then progressing into international programmes? Yeah, the the hockey pathway in Australia is a pretty good pathway, I believe. Um, so from about under 16s up, you can make the Australian either schoolboys or um, underage teams. My pathway was the Australian under 16 schoolboys team. Um, then I made the Australian under 18 team, which is more of a club scene. Um, you then go from there to either the Australian under 21 team preparing for a Junior World Cup or, or similar, or you go into your academy or your institute programs. I guess the main selection criteria for the national squad is through our National Hockey League or, or the newly named Hockey One. That's where you play for your states. Um, back when I first started, it was a, a competition that was home and away over about eight weeks where you used to fly in and fly out. Now it's just a... Um, or it has been a two-week tournament, uh, gone back to a little bit of home and away now. You then make the national squad of 24, and all Australian players, uh, male and female, 
are based at the national program in Perth. So it's a big, you know, change in lifestyle is to move your life to Perth, but it's something I guess that I wanted to do. And, and I made the move to Perth as a, you know, ju- I just turned 18 um, when I moved to Perth. Yeah, Mark, it definitely seems a structure in Australian hockey that's been very successful. And that's obviously reflected by, as I say, the success that the women's and the guys have had throughout world hockey. But you touched on as an 18 year old moving away to Perth. It's quite a big move at that age. Who were the kind of players then or coaches in that environment that made you feel welcomed? And was it quite hard adjusting to that move? Yeah, definitely. I think it's always a challenge, um, not knowing if, if you're good enough. That was a big thing for me was, was I really good enough? But I guess one of the things that made it easier was that I, I wanted it. And I and it's one of the things, I guess, that kept me in the game in the game for a long time was that I have that real desire to to be part of the best team in the world, to be one of the best players in the world. And, and I wanted to achieve success in a sport that I was, you know, I was good at and been given an opportunity. And um, Barry Dancer was the coach, an amazing coach, and obviously the the only gold medal winning ma- uh, men's coach in Australian history. And then you had people like, you know, Bevan George, Brent Livermore, Jamie Dwyer, Matthew Wells, Troy Elder, some of those guys who who, who had been around for a while and you know, a couple of Queenslanders there that, that I grew up kind of, you know, idolising and watching. Um, a couple of good friends that are a little bit older than me. But certainly the environment was very conducive to, you know, to high performance, to, to making really strong and lasting friendships if you put the work in. Yeah, we'll talk about some of the coaches, as you've mentioned, Barry Dancer that you worked with between 2003 in 2008, where you did have success with regards to winning a gold in 2004 in Athens, but we'll talk about that later on, Mark. But one of the things I want to ask you is, growing and going into that environment, what would you say were your strengths as a player and what kind of gave you? Obviously, you had great longevity in the game and that willingness to win, the motivation to be part of a team. But what, what stood out to you? What were your key attributes as a player going through the age ranges? Uh, I think certainly early on uh, in my international career, my biggest strength by far was my ability to play multiple positions. Uh, When I came into the national program in 2003 uh, as an 18-year-old, I played in the Australian under-18 team as a a midfielder. Um, I played about three months later for the Queensland uh, under-21 team as a fullback center back and i played in the national hockey league for the queensland men's team uh in the senior competition as an outside half so i really had uh, a couple of those strings to my bow and i think certainly when you come into a national program you know you need to be able to to be versatile and i think that was one of the biggest things back then the game is a lot more fluent now. Uh, you look at the best players in the world, they, they can play multiple positions, but it wasn't as normal back then to play multiple positions at a high level. And, and that was, I think, the thing that got me through the door really early on. You've mentioned there, Mark, having that flexibility and that understanding to play positions across the board on the park. Would you say in Australia, is that something that's implemented with regards to the progression of youth boys coming through, having that understanding of being able to play various positions that ultimately poses a strength to them when they get to international level? Oh, I don't know if it's necessarily uh, ingrained in us growing up. I think one of the things that does encourage that is there is a large portion of the national squad players or players who become top level in male and female that are country-based players and kids growing up. I think what that does for you is 
it allows you to you know to play more positions to to be better at multiple positions and i think if you look at the team for example that team that won olympic gold in 2004 15 of the 16 were all country based kids uh, or country kids who, who grew up and then moved to the national program very similar in olympic campaigns you know for us and world cup campaigns moving forward and i guess that regional um, and country based side to hockey in Australia is something I guess that that is a strength of ours. Totally agree that's got to be a that's clearly evident that's a strength within Australian hockey but I just want to touch on then going into the international setup then in 2004 making your debut that year against Korea and Malaysia and with 2004 being such a great year for Australian hockey and yourself personally with regards to winning gold in Athens can you just talk talk through to the listeners with regards to what your feelings were, obviously, at the Olympic Games and obviously how big an honour it was representing your country making your debut against Korea. Uh, it was an absolutely amazing honour. I guess it was something that I wanted to do for a long time. Um, wasn't, you know, wasn't sure that I would ever get the opportunity when you're a young kid, but um, certainly just, you know, for people listening, um, 2003 was a really tough year for me. I broke my ankle twice. Um, so I broke it the first day that I arrived at the national program. In Perth, I had four months off and my first training session back with the national program, I broke it again. So I actually didn't train one session with the with the national squad in 2003. Pretty much thought my Olympic dreams were over. Uh, we went to the Aslan Shah in Malaysia um, early January 2004 with a very, very youthful team. Um, I guess one of the things for me was that because I was so young, um, I just took every moment in my stride and and I knew that no matter how hard it, it had been in 2003 with the ankles and the injuries and missing trainings and games, it was something that I really wanted. Um, so I just thought, just get out there and do it. Don't think about all the things that have happened. Just get out there and do what you've always wanted to do. So that was massive for me. Um, you know, leading into the Olympics, I guess we just had a group who were just, um, you know, hungry, desperate, and right at the right time. To, to be able to win, you know, you can have hunger and desperation but not be ready to win. Um, but that Australian team that I came into, that, that team was ready to win. And I guess when you, you know, you get through the round games, you, you know, you do all the things that are pretty amazing at the Olympics, you know, like the uniforms and the tracksuits and the village and all of those things. But, but ultimately the most important message that I got given and maybe one of the strongest messages of my career was a couple of the really senior leaders in the group, guys who I absolutely looked up to. Um, they pulled me aside when we got all of our uniforms and um, our tracksuits and just really quietly, not in front of everyone, not making a scene, they just said, Nolsey, we don't play at the Olympics for the tracksuit. We're here to win. And I thought to myself that that was the mentality that this team had. It was It was more than just being there. It was about winning and... And to go through that Olympics, you know, as a 20-year-old kid in a team of, a team of, you know, absolute stars and guys who achieved what we were able to, uh, it was amazing. You know, to then play an Olympic final, um, you know, against the Dutch, who were the absolute, you know, one of the absolute star teams of that kind of decade or that 10 years. Uh, and to play the way we did, it was a very, very, you know, very thorough performance. And we only got over the line in extra time with Jamie's goal. Uh, golden goal but it was a very good performance we just couldn't get the ball in the back of the net in that first half um 
you know, and then at 20 years old, you end up with a gold medal around your neck. It's uh, one of those things that I'll, I'll absolutely never forget. You can only imagine the feelings, Mark, with regards to winning a gold medal at the Olympics at 20. But one of the things, when you're just speaking there, that stood out to me was the older senior guys pulling you aside with regards to the tracksuits, saying, you know, we don't play just for the tracksuit, you know, we're here to win. Is that something that's stuck with you throughout your career and playing in various teams and seeing the kind of younger guys coming through? Is that something that you implement to them, telling them what it's like to play for Australia? You know, it's not about just taking part. You know, those demands that you put on the young boys coming through, it's about winning. Can you just explain there what your methods are with regards to the introduction of youth players coming into the team while you're a senior member? Yeah, that's absolutely true. I think one of the, you know, the things that I was able to do throughout my career was... I guess alter my leadership styles, but I think one of the things that that most players would always speak about with me is that I would never ask them to do something that I wasn't doing myself. And, you know, that's one of those things that you got to set really high standards if you want to be really elite. And I guess coming in, I, I wanted to be part of the best team in the world. I, I wanted to win those, you know, those tournaments and be successful. So I guess when people come to that national program in Perth, it's not just my job, it's everyone's job. And, you know, Barry Dancer and Rick Charlesworth early in my career were two just amazing exponents of that where they just didn't take, uh, you know, mediocrity. They didn't take anything bar people who want to be there, who wanted to contribute and normally who want to do a bit more than just the norm. And um, that's, I guess, my mentality um, sometimes that frustrated people I know and, you know, it even frustrated me at times that, you know, I wasn't wasn't happy enough with things that were happening and always wanted more. Um, but that's a bit of my personality and I guess that's the way I tried to, you know, try to drive standards. And I think if, if you look at the national team of, of Australia over a long period of time and especially, you know, in the time that I can talk about, um, you know, players have driven the standards, not been told what to do. And that's a big part, I think, of elite teams. A big thing for me, Mark, I'm still playing. I'm similar ages with yourself, but even still at this age, a big key thing for me is you need to be self-motivated as an individual. You know, nobody else is putting pressure on you. The pressure's got to come from within and you set your standards. And hopefully by setting good standards, doing the right things, having good habits, you know, that's a knock-on effect and that can rub on in three and four. And that, that's a great thing because it becomes infectious and that goes from three or four to five to six to seven to eight. And when you get a whole team on the same page with their end goal of, say, winning a gold or winning the competition, you know, that puts you in a very strong position. And that's without even hitting a ball. You know, that's getting everyone on board with the same principle, the same mindset, and it's only going to be positive going forward, certainly. But uh, I just want to ask you some quick-fire questions, if you don't mind, Mark. What would be your favourite hockey destination to date that you've played at? Uh, probably um, the World Cup in 2014 in the Netherlands. I think playing hockey in the Netherlands was something I got to do playing five years for Rotterdam uh, in the club scene over there. But that World Cup was something that I'll just never forget. So 2014 World Cup in the Netherlands was probably my favourite. Definitely, and obviously winning gold that World Cup as well, which would have been exceptional as well, Mark. Name three of the best players that you've played with in World Hockey. Oh, I think three that I've played with in World Hockey. Um, you know, Jeroen Hertzberger at Rotterdam, Robert Vanderhorst at Rotterdam and the Punjab Warriors in India. Uh, Wazim Ahmed, my first year in, 
in Rotterdam, uh, yeah, and then, you know, Simon Child, Phil Burrows, Ryan Archibald, Kiwis, oh, mate, there's a long list, and then a, and then a, a big truckload of guys that I've played against. Well, it's certainly a tough one to answer, the amount of calibre of players that you'd have played against, Mark, but what about against them? Who are the three of the toughest opponents that you've came up against? Uh, I think the three for me, guys, um, turned to Neuer, absolute, uh, you know, I, I would say one of the, you know, three greatest of all times. And then the two toughest probably guys that I played directly against, Moritz Furster and um, and Christopher Zeller, um, you know, in that German peak in 2008, 10, 12, you know, when they had that dominance at the Olympics uh, and beating us in the World Cup in 2006. That's kind of the era of that German that German team that we had such amazing rivalries with. And then turned to Neuer, I watched him play in, in 1994 at the World Cup in Sydney as a 10-year-old and I ended up playing against him in his fifth Olympics in London. Um, pretty crazy. So they're the three for me that stand out. And that's without naming Jamie Dwyer, who I used to have to train against every day. Um, so if you're looking for an Aussie name, we all know Jamie. Um, but, you know, he was probably as hard or, or tougher than any international opponent that I have had to play against. I was waiting for you to say, Jamie, being a brother-in-law as well, I think you'd have been in the bad books if you hadn't answered him. But definitely the players you've mentioned there, Houston, you know, Zella, Tundinoir certainly as a, as a young boy growing up as well. Looking up to these guys, they were exceptional world-name players doing great things and you, you you kind of wanted to aspire to them and go out in the, the practice field and try and replicate any of their skills that you could do. But top players that you've mentioned there, Mark, absolutely, I couldn't agree more. No, Mark, one of the things I want to do is just to give the listeners an insight in regards to the success that you've had. You know, you are a world-renowned name in hockey. You know, we've touched on the gold in Athens. You've had two bronze in Beijing and London. You know, in the World Cup scene as well, a gold in New Delhi, a gold in The Hague. You mentioned there the rivalry you had with Germany. Being unsuccessful in 2006, just missing out 4-3 to them, picking up a silver medal. You've won four goals in the Champions Trophy, one silver. You know, four Commonwealth golds at Melbourne, Delhi, Glasgow, the Gold Coast. And we're not even talking yet about the Oceania Cup in 2015 winning gold and 2017 in Sydney. Then lastly, just the World League, two golds there as well in Rupert and Buenos Aires. You know, the success you've had has been tremendous to yourself and obviously the calibre of players that you've been around, the management team in regards to coaches. Which leads on to the question, Mark, has been... In your international career, who are the coaches that have stood out? And can you just give me the philosophy in playing for Australia at senior level? What were the principles and what were your main strengths as a nation playing hockey? Yeah, yeah, I did. Uh, you know, I had 15 years of, you know, fairly, fairly well-sustained success. I mean, Australia and Germany won every major tournament from 2002 um, World Cup right through to 2014. We won all of the Olympics, all the World Cups. So it was a massive rivalry and I guess one that we absolutely loved. You know, they got they got on top of us a few times and, and us on, you know, us, us on, the, on the right side, a few others. I guess the main philosophies with hockey in Australia is um, it's very much, you know, a team sport. So you are constantly, constantly you know, drilled into you that we are a team, we need to get better as a team. So very much that team mentality of making everyone better, um, 
you know, even performance, um, you know, will normally result in better performances instead of having two or three stars and, and guys not picking up the slack. So real evenness amongst the team. You know, Barry Dancer was all around, um, you know, working harder, being, you know, physically fitter and stronger than your opposition. Rick Charlesworth was was a lot different. He was all about, um, you know, different tactics. He was about playing different systems. He was a, a lot about self-belief and, you know, having a large group of really elite players, you know, right through to, to Graham Reed and, through that period in 2015 and 16, kind of leading up to the Olympics where it didn't go right for us, but we did still do a lot right, um, you know, winning the World League and a few tournaments there. And then to finish off, I guess, you know, one of the, you know, one of the proudest moments of my life was playing, you know, as an older player, unsure of whether I was going to keep playing after the Olympics with Colin Batch as coach. He'd come back from New Zealand and his biggest message was, you know, that Nolsey, we want you in this team. We need you as a leader. He said, don't feel bad being like an assistant coach on the field. He said, because you've earned the right to be like this. And he said, what we really want is this group of great young men who are, you know, doing, you know, doing things in their study and their life and having strong relationships with their partners. And, you know, you bring all of that together and you make this really cohesive unit who, who wants to travel together and train together and compete together and you, you're better along the way than if you just want to get out there and, and play each day. So a few philosophies there, but some absolutely amazing coaches. There's a great insight to Australian hockey there with regards to the coaches that you've worked under and the philosophy that you guys play towards. But obviously as well, within the Australian league, it's very competitive playing against the top boys in the country. As you've said previously, you go to HD Rotterdam to play over in the hoof class. Something that I've always wanted to do, but never had the opportunity to do so. Just tell me, what was your time like spent over in Rotterdam, and how did you find settling in over to a new culture, a new lifestyle, and playing in again a very top league in world hockey? Yeah, having the opportunity to play at, at HC Rotterdam, one of the biggest hockey clubs in the world, you know, was a dream, a dream for me. Uh, I grew up playing on grass until I was fourteen years old. And then I played for a professional club when I was 22 years old with eight turfs. Uh, it was one of those things that you just can't tell your mates back home. <laughs> they don't believe you. Um, I guess I went to Rotterdam at a time where they were really looking for, you know, a new way forward for the club. They were certainly one of the, you know, the clubs that raised some eyebrows around the international players. Like when I first went there, we had two Pakistanis, three Kiwis and an Australian um, taking up six spots. But I guess that was one of the things that the club's vision was, was that they they wanted that, and I absolutely loved it. Um, it was, you know, five of the best years of my life with my wife heading over with me um, for us to get away and, and do some stuff on our own. Um, my last season there, we won the competition for the first time in the club's history. Um, so that 2013 year for me was one that I'll just absolutely never forget in my, you know, in my club days um, to play with that elite group. Um, to achieve something that the club had never done before was was just amazing. Um, so I remember that that very very clearly. Two thousand thirteen was about six seven years ago. Um, you know, soon in the coming weeks. So it goes quick, but yeah, that that time over there, learning a different way of play, um, a different culture of how you treat people and how you're treated. It was just one of those things that I absolutely loved and 
was very, very honoured to have the opportunity to play for a club like that for five seasons. As you say, Mark, coming from Australia and getting the opportunity to play for a world-renowned club in HC Rotterdam would have been a great experience. The culture, living there, getting to meet new folk, living, living and enjoying life in Europe would have been great for an Oz coming over and experiencing that. But I've got two questions for you. There's one player that I've really enjoyed watching growing up as well, and you were fortunate to play with him as well. If you could just discuss him a wee bit, Robert van der Horst, similar ages as well, maybe came through and played against him a couple of times, but just talk to me about him, because I thought he was a world-class player, and also at the same time, what were your thoughts on playing in the EHL? And a wee fact is, you've actually played against Kelborn Hockey Club, who I'm part of as well, but I don't think you'll remember that. I think you absolutely thumped us in Barcelona. If you could just answer those two questions, that'd be great. Yeah, Robert van der Horst, he was a phenomenal player. Um, we're the same age, um, came up through the um, the junior programs against each other and then obviously got to play against each other for, you know, you know probably 250 games for our countries uh, at similar ages. Uh, I think, you know, we played similar positions. We both, in some ways, read the game um, in similar ways. Different skill set, definitely. He was much, much better on the ball. Um, exceptional ball handler and probably one of the reasons why, you know, he played as a midfielder in our Rotterdam team and I played at the back uh, and for a period of time. And then, you know, I actually went forward and, and played a little bit of midfield and he went to the back. Uh, and very similar things happened when we played together in India. So he was a phenomenal player and, um, you know, one that I, you know, enjoyed you know, having him as a mate, but also enjoyed the rivalry of playing against absolute elite players. Second one, yeah, I remember in Kel uh, playing against Kelburn guys, um, Barcelona, it was a good trip. We went over, we had some sunshine that weekend. Uh, you know, a young country boy from Rocky getting to travel the, travel the world and play for a club and then to play in the EHL um, in one of those first seasons that I played. Um, I think we did get the wood over you guys. I think it was six six or seven at a guess um but but very 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 challenging absolutely uh i just absolutely love the ehl just the rivalry between countries the rivalry between clubs um you know i think that year was the year that we played you know bloomendale in the semi-final in our home stadium in front of about five and a half thousand people yeah we lost it but there's some of those memories that you just don't forget um, and it doesn't always take winning to create memories you don't forget and that EHL is one of those tournaments that, you know, I know so many players in Australia want to be part of that. Yeah, you definitely did hand out a doing to Kelburn over in that EHL, but we'll just call it six, Mark. You don't want to be saying seven, eight or nine. Come on, behave yourself. But uh, during that wee insight there, you talked about the Indian Hockey League. And as hockey's an evolving sport, you know, we're always wanting to do better, promote this, the sport in such a good way. What was your insight to going over and playing for the Punjab Warriors? Again, India fanatical country with regards to the hockey, the spectators, another culture that you went and played in. Just give you your memories from playing there. And obviously at the same time, it was a player auction. So world-class world players were getting auctioned off to play for various teams over there. Just give us a wee insight there, Mark. Yeah, it was, mate. It was, uh, it was amazing to be part of. I think I remember very clearly the first auction back in 2012. Uh, and, you know, seeing your name being, you know, pulled out of a pot and people bidding for you, it was pretty crazy. And as I've said a few times already on this chat, you know, I'm just a country boy. I'm just a kid from Rockhampton who grew up absolutely loving hockey and and suddenly your name's getting pulled out of a hat for for fairly substantial um, sums of US dollars that when you convert back to Aussie dollars, it still puts a smile on my face. 
Um, so to go over there to India, um, hockey fanatics, you know, it was absolutely amazing to get treated like an absolute rock star. You know, we'd rock up and someone would take our luggage from the airport. They would go in a truck three, four, five hours before our flights with our luggage and we would just rock up with a backpack straight through, you know, to have people like Sardar Singh and Sandeep Singh and some of these absolute stars that I got to play with, you know, and hang around and, and see what kind of lives they live. It was absolutely amazing. So that side of the Indian culture is something that I think all international hockey players absolutely love. And then I guess for me, it was a real um, privilege to, to be able to play with some very, very high-class international players. You know, you talked about some of them that we have absolute fierce rivalries with the Dutch and Argentina and, and, got, and, and teams like that, and then you're playing with them. And, you know, I became very, very good friends with a number of those guys and, you know, supported them and played against them and played with them. And, you know, you kind of get out of your little country bubble and, you start thinking how amazing are, th are these opportunities that hockey as a sport has given me. Um, so I guess when I reflect back now, two years retired, you know, they're really the only, you know, those things of playing in teams and, and trying to win and, and travelling the world are the things that I miss. I couldn't agree more, Mark. You know, within hockey, we are all very competitive. We all want to strive, strive to be the best, to achieve the best. But the friendships that you do build with teammates playing against folk coming together, you know, that's the memories that will stick with you for the rest of your days, you know, these are friends that you'll have for life and places that you go and visit as well, opportunities present themselves that you might, you're so fortunate to have that you wouldn't have had if you didn't play hockey, so to speak then. But one thing that's came came across during this conversation in the podcast is, as the Aussie team, you know, it's very team orientated, you know, the main thing, the main purpose is a team wanting to get better, strive to be better, to train well, you know, to exceed and win gold medals, win competitions. But within that, you were very successful in 2007, you were named Young Player of the Year. And also in 2014, you were named World Player of the Year. That's we individual bonuses, and that must be a great thing to, to have. You know, winning team stuff's great, but obviously to get that accolade and acknowledgement that you're doing well as an individual in world hockey. Just talk to me the experiences and how you feel achieving those two awards. Yeah, I, th I think, um, you know, there's certainly, you know, massive bonuses and massive awards that, that I would, you know, never give back to anyone. They're things, I guess, it's a recognition of the hard work and the effort that you put in, um, but also that constant improvement that I was trying to achieve. I think the, the junior player in 2007, came at a time where um, the Aussie team, you know, we'd played fairly well. I'd been on the scene then for 2005, six, you know, we won um, uh, we won a couple of things there. We were silver at the World Cup. We won the Commonwealth Games. So, you know, I was starting to be a far more important player in the team. And I guess that gave me a bit of a, a spark and a kick on that, okay, I, I am, you know, a fairly good player and I can do this. 2014 was just a very, very special year for, for myself and for the team. Um, I guess the the heartbreak in London 2012 at the Olympics was the spur. Um, that was the spark that that really, you know, that that the fire in the belly. I guess that we needed or that we got. Um, and we just went on a run there where we just became a team that, um, you know, was just going to do absolutely anything we could to be better than what we were. Um, and we won an Olympic bronze medal, which some would say is amazing. But for that team, that was a failure and that was driven 
by Rick's expectations, my expectations as a leader, Jamie Dwyer, Eddie Ockenden, you know, those guys. And I guess that performance in in The Hague at the World Cup in 2014 was just one that, you know, most hockey lovers will never forget. The The way that our team conduct us, uh, conducted ourselves on and off field, the performances on the field was, you know, was as good as, you know, hockey's been seen for a number of years, I believe. And and that that performance in the final was one that most hockey people, as I said, will probably never forget to, to beat an absolutely quality Dutch team in their home stadium in a World Cup final 6-1, you know, we may never see anything that good again. Um, and I guess for me being the captain of that team, um, I was named as the player of the tournament at that World Cup. And I guess it was just a recognition of an absolutely elite team and probably just myself playing one of those tournaments that, um, you know, when you play well and the team does well, you get those individual accolades at the end. And that was one of those moments um, that, that is very special, very, very special. That World Cup in 2014, you guys win the gold. Some of the hockey you, you boys were producing was phenomenal. And as a spectator, it was just a joy to watch. But two other memorable kind of things that stand out to me would be the goals in the Commonwealth Games. But two special ones must be Melbourne 2006 and then the Gold Coast 2018 and also being named the flag bearer for Australia. Just talk to me about how you'd have felt there, winning two goals in your home country and also being the flag bearer. Exceptional, Mark. The Commonwealth Games were amazing. Um, you know, for a Commonwealth nation, there was something that we always strive for. And, you know, the Australian team has an amazing record. We've won all six Commonwealth gold medals in men's hockey, so it's something that we're very proud of. 2006 was the first international tournament that I'd ever played at home, um, so it was a massive one to be involved in, and and for us to win that Commonwealth Games was something that, you know, I absolutely loved. It was the first time I'd played in front of my family and friends, so it was really cool as a 22-year-old kid, um, and I think especially after the success in Athens in 2004, that team was really, really rolling. 2018 was, you know, one memory that... Um, that I'll just never forget. For me, I, I announced my retirement about seven weeks before the Commonwealth Games, um, something that was, you know, an extremely tough decision because I loved the game maybe more than I ever had before, but I just didn't want to do the training and, and the competition and the travel um, enough to, to strive for it every day. Um, but to go out as the flag bearer of Team Australia, um, again, one of those individual accolades where... I'd been, you know, very comfortable leading out a team of 18 guys on a hockey field, but when you're leading out 400 of Australia's best athletes in multiple sports um, in front of, you know, 40,000 at the Commonwealth Games opening ceremony, it was one of those things that the the deafening roar of the crowd um, was a memory that, you know, I'll, I'll never forget. Then, you know, to win... Um, my last ever match and my last ever tournament in front of my wife and, and my three kids. You know, it was 45 minutes down the road from our house here in Brizzy to, I guess, to go out, um, you know, in a way that I, I would have desperately dreamt of but never knew I would get. Um, and as I said kind of before, I love the game, absolutely love the game, love the team, love my coaches as much or more than I had in my whole career. Um, but I just lost a bit of that drive to to be absolutely elite and to do absolutely everything that's required. And I think my decision was justified. 
because I actually have never wanted to play again. Um, so I haven't had that itch that I needed it again, um, which I think means it was the right time to go. What a credit to the sport you, you've been, Mark, and will continue to be as a role model for so many folk in your, in your own country in Australia and for so many kids growing up throughout the world looking up to aspire to achieve the greatness. So there's certainly nobody better than looking at yourself. I just want to ask you a couple of questions with regards to your captaincy. From about 2014, that's when you captained the country. I just want to ask you, obviously the Aussies, so to speak, do not suffer many defeats. So a defeat is like probably suffering five. You know, what's it like in the dressing room? Who's accountable? What's it like being the captain? Do folk kind of get digged out? You know, is there a lot of shouting? What's the environment like after the defeat? Oh, I think that, you know, that's a hard one to to judge in some ways because a defeat in an Olympic Games quarterfinal, for example, in Rio is a complete different feel to a, a loss in a round game where it's all about the process moving forward. When you know your dream's over, um, it's a very, very sombre change room. I think one of the things that I would say, though, is that um, in my time, there was very little um, or any finger pointing. And I guess that is really reflected in what we talked about before. It's a team game. Um, The coaching staff are striving for a group of elite players where everyone buys into a process, everyone wins and everyone loses together. And I guess I'm a fairly calm person in the change room, um, and sometimes that was to my detriment, where I could have been tougher. Um, but I think certainly, you know, for me, it's about reflecting on the things that you do really well, and we did a lot really, really well over a long period of time. It's about understanding that, you know, if you're a really, really elite team, um, you can be good enough to come back. And then it's just about what's next. And, you know, as I said, the, the the mood in the Olympic, you know, quarterfinal change room or Olympic semi-change room is of devastation because your dream and is over and you know that you should have and you could have been better. Um, but I think for me, it's very much my leadership was around, you know, what we do now to get us in a good spot. And then if we don't achieve what we wanted to, it's about what we do moving forward. And, and I think that's one of the things with my leadership that was fairly steady across my tenure as a leader. Well, Mark, that's a really good insight. There'll be guys and girls on this podcast that will captain their, their clubs and even possibly their countries. So to get that understanding and hearing from yourself how you go about your business and maybe the kind of some pointers that they can maybe adapt into how they go about captaining teams will be great. You know, that's a good insight for them to progress their games as well. But Mark, that's generally just everything that I've wanted to ask you. It's been an absolute pleasure taking this opportunity to speak to you. But if we can just finish on this, what's your position in hockey just now? And what's the, what does the future hold to you just now then, Mark, going forward, having retired? Yeah, at the moment, um, I'm the coaching director of my local hockey club in, in Brisbane, um, East Carina. We, um, you know, we have a fairly large club with a nice facility. Um, so I oversee the junior boys, girls, um, senior men and women. Um, I coach the Division One men's team that I play in. Um, so that's a really nice way for me to stay involved in sport, uh, in the sport. Uh, in terms of higher level stuff, I don't do um, anything at the moment with any of the national teams apart from just be a just be a friend away from, you know, the the normal coaching they're getting and be an ear that people can can talk to and can listen to. 
Um, I, my current role is I work at the Queensland Academy of Sports, so I actually um, manage the personal development unit, which oversees about 400 athletes across 24 Olympic, Paralympic and Commonwealth Games sports. Uh, my role is basically to, and my team is to work with athletes on everything that's not their training and competition. So really focusing in on, you know, the mental health and well-being of athletes, um, you know, being role models in the community, um, all of their career and education and things like uh, personal branding and sponsorships and stuff like that. So still certainly involved in elite sport, um, you know, very, very passionate about it. Um, nothing specifically at the moment, you know, at a high level with hockey, but certainly keeping my feet um you know, in elite sport and, and enjoying just this first part of retirement. No, Mark, I think throughout this podcast, it's very evident the passion that you have for hockey and you still, that you still do. You know, the work that you're doing back home in Australia, currently having retired as well is great. And, you know, I can only see success in whatever you're going to do going forward. But I'd just like to thank you finally again for coming on the podcast. Hopefully you've enjoyed it today. I'm sure when this episode goes out to the listeners, they'll thoroughly enjoy it, getting an insight to your career, the successes you've had, a couple of low points as well, but just the, just getting to know Mark Knowles as a person as well. It's been great, and I wish you every success going forward in regards to the family and stay safe, obviously, during the, the kind of coronavirus times as well. But thanks again, Mark. Thanks very much for having me, guys. I um, really, really appreciate being able to share my story and hopefully some people or everyone got a, a couple of little things out of it that they can take into their own sporting journey or career. Um, keep up the good work, keep promoting the game and look forward to supporting off the backboard even more. Thanks very much, guys. Uh, everyone stay safe and healthy during this time. an absolute pleasure speaking to Mark Knowles world class athlete it was great to get an insight to his career and everything that he's won what a journey it's been so far in the podcast with the boys from After the Backboard to where we are now the guests that we're getting on world class and hopefully everyone's enjoying it and tuning in it's much appreciated all the support that everyone's given us uh, make sure next Sunday yep follow again it's going to be another world class guest that we've got on make sure you follow us on Instagram Check out our story because we'll be up and coming guests that will be getting revealed and also our giveaways that will be starting as well. So tune in guys and look forward to next Sunday's world class guests. Cheers folks.